We are beginning a new study through the book of Hebrews. This morning, I invite you to turn there. Hebrews is in the New Testament. Following the book of the little letter to Philemon. The recipients of the letter to the Hebrews were Jewish Christians who had uh, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had believed. They had believed that Jesus was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament scriptures. And as time went on, they, they became tempted to turn back to the uh, forms of Old Testament Judaism. Uh, they may have been tempted to turn back because they had walked away from what they had been raised with and what their fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers going back generations had been raised with. They may have been tempted to turn back because, frankly, meeting in a home in a, in a, a small setting doesn't have the, 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 uh, the nature of the temple service with the massive buildings and the stones and the priesthoods and the robes. But they were tempted to turn back. And the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, although I think that it was the Apostle Paul. There are different opinions on that. It's never named. The writer of Hebrews directs us as the listener and directed them to Jesus Christ and his supremacy as God's final revelation, as the sacrifice as the priest, uh, the salvation that comes through Jesus is superior to everything else. It's the only means of salvation. And we need to study this book today. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD when the Romans invaded Jerusalem. And the, the possibility of Jews turning back to true biblical Judaism ended with the destruction of the temple. There has been no such thing as biblical Judaism since the temple was destroyed. Modern-day Judaism is, is virtually a cult. It has nothing in common with the Old Testament forms, the Old Testament religion that Jesus was raised in and which produced the gospel. We need to understand it today because we face the same kind of constant temptation to turn to forms, to turn away from the truth as is presented and centered in Jesus Christ, in the person of Christ. And to emphasize things and rites and rituals. The first two verses of Hebrews establishes the supremacy of Jesus as the final word of God. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Fathers, we come to your word. We ask that you would open our ears and open our eyes. Grant us the understanding that only your spirit can give that we may truly understand, that we may believe and have our faith strengthened today. And in Jesus' holy name we pray and we give you thanks. Amen. 
We saw a couple of weeks ago God spoke. God, after he spoke long ago, the, the first words of Hebrews are, we saw a couple of weeks ago that God spoke. God is a speaking God. He spoke before creation. The members of the Trinity were in constant fellowship, constant communication with one another as persons. God spoke to create. He is spirit. He has no physical body, so he has no physical body to act upon a, an object with. He, he acts upon creation by willing and by speaking. God said, let there be light, and there was light in Genesis 1-3. And God's speech was so powerful and so significant, there is still light. I can see it coming through the door. Light continues to obey. God spoke to communicate. He spoke directly to uh, the early ones like Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham, and to Moses. And beginning with Moses, God began speaking almost exclusively through intermediaries, through prophets. And at the same time, he commanded Moses to write down what he said. And God began communicating through the written word. But as we saw, there is no difference in the authority and the nature of the voice of God whether it comes to a person directly from God or it comes through a prophetic intermediary or whether it comes through the written scripture. The voice of God, the word of God, bears the exact same authority, the exact same power. And so we are accountable for what is written in scripture as though God himself had appeared to us and spoken these words specifically to us. All scripture is inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3.16 says. That word inspired is the Greek word theopneustos, and it means breathed out. As we speak, we breathe out the words that we speak. And so Paul writing to Timothy says every scripture, all of scripture has been breathed out from the very mouth of God. And we must take it seriously and give it its proper authority. Well, the writer of Hebrews says that, that there was a former way that God spoke and there is a final way that God spoke, a last way that God spoke. Formerly, formerly rather, uh, Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the, prophet, to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. God's speech formerly was long ago. He began speaking to Adam. Uh, biblical creation would point to the, the time of creation being around 4,500 B.C. It could be plus or minus a little bit, but it's certainly not millions of years. And he spoke to individuals periodically according to his will and according to his purposes for the world to, from, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. He only spoke a couple of times through intermediaries. Joseph interpreting dreams would be an example of that. Noah preaching righteousness would be an example of that. But primarily as God spoke, he spoke directly long ago. The, the last Old Testament prophet before Jesus was born was Malachi. And Malachi's ministry took place about 400 years before the birth of Christ, about 430 years before the ministry of Jesus began. So God spoke, say, from 4500 B.C. to 400 B.C. That's a long time. But it had been centuries since God had spoken. 
God spoke in many times. The New American Standard says many portions. The sense actually is, is better understood as many portions, many parts. But those parts were given over many times. So Moses, writing around 1800 B.C., uh, wrote, um, uh, I'm sorry, writing around 1400 B.C., wrote the Torah. David, writing about 1000 B.C., writes the Psalms. Solomon, writing... Uh, around 900 or 950 B.C., writes Proverbs. Isaiah, writing around 700 B.C., writes his prophetic book. God spoke in many parts. If you want to, you could think about those parts as like the chapters in your Bible. I think, I think the, the, all of us who are adults are old enough to remember the idea of serialized stories in newspapers or in magazines where a chapter a week or a chapter a month was was given and you had to wait. We were all raised at a time before there was any such thing as the internet or Netflix or Hulu or any of those things. If you, if you wanted to watch MASH, I discovered MASH on Hulu, so it's great to sit down and watch five episodes at one time. Couldn't do that when I was a kid. You, you had to wait for Monday night or Wednesday night or whenever it was on, and it was on, and when it was over, it was over. God spoke in many portions at many times, and he spoke in many ways. He spoke directly. He spoke through intermediaries. He spoke through dreams, which take place when you're asleep. He spoke through visions, which take place when you're awake. He spoke by impressing his word upon his prophets. And sometimes he even speaks through dictation. As when he says to Isaiah, say to them, thus says the Lord. And he begins to dictate what Isaiah is to write. But there are two things that all of God's communication have in, have in common, at least two things. There may be more. These are the two that occur to me. First of all, they all bear exactly the same authority because they all come from the mouth of God. And second, they're all words. They're all words. Now, Ezekiel 1, if you've read Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1 contains this, this absolutely mind-boggling vision. But how do we see that vision? In words. Why did God give Ezekiel that vision particularly? Because particularly because Ezekiel would, with that vision, write down those words. God is a preacher. He is not a painter. Jesus is the eternal word, not the moving picture. God speaks in words. He gives us language. Hebrews says here that God spoke to the fathers and the prophets, the intermediaries. There was a a mediator for the word of God coming to the people just as there was a priestly mediator for the sacrifices and offerings in the temple and in the tabernacle. God said, I'm not going to speak to them face to face. I'm not going to speak to them directly. In fact, that was a way that he distinguished Moses from the rest. He says, I speak to Moses face to face. I don't speak to the rest of you face to face. There were prophets as intermediaries. And he spoke to the fathers. He spoke to the chosen people. He spoke to, uh, clearly, Adam, to Noah, to the others. But when we speak about the fathers, we're really talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're talking about the sons of Jacob. And then the ancestors 
or the descendants of those men and the ancestors of the recipients. God spoke to the fathers. He spoke to his chosen people. By the way, they, he didn't speak to them because they were his chosen people. They were his chosen people because he spoke to them. He didn't speak to the Canaanites. He didn't speak to the Midianites. He didn't speak to the Amorites. He didn't speak to the Greeks. He didn't speak to the Romans. He didn't speak to the Ninevites except to send his prophet with a message to them, but he spoke to his people. And it was when the word of the Lord came to Abraham and the word of the Lord came to Moses that they were singled out as spokesmen for God. God made decisions. God spoke long ago at many times and in many ways to the fathers by the prophets. But then there's a lastly, and that's in verse 2. In these days, God has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through, through whom also he made the world. God's speech is no longer long ago, but in these last days. At the time that the writer of Hebrews puts these words down, it is the last days. In these last days, in these final days, he says. Last days began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead when he declared victory over sin, victory over Satan, victory over the, over the grave. And he sent his apostles out and he sent his church out to take the gospel to the world so that he might collect his own from the world. And it's, it's as though when the church was born, God's timetable was paused. And even though 2,000 years have, has passed, have passed for us, it's one event happening for God as the harvest is brought in. I don't know how many harvests there have been in the last 2,000 years. I suppose 2,000 if you're dealing with a, a big crop. But in the kingdom of God, there's just one harvest that began 2,000 years ago and it continues today. See, we're in the same last season of time where God is bringing his people home. The message of the gospel rests upon the truth that the end could come at any time. So in Acts 17, as Paul speaks in Athens, he says, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. This tells us, by the way, if anybody says to you that Christianity is Western, Christianity is American, Christianity is white, God commands all men everywhere to repent because he is going to judge all men everywhere and he has provided proof to all men everywhere by raising his son from the dead. Jesus made it clear that he could return at any time. His disciples lived with the constant expectation that today might be the day of days. Jesus to return to establish his kingdom on earth isn't, isn't delayed by anything but the will of God. God the Father is simply saying, not yet. But at the point that God the Father says, now Jesus will return. 
And those events will take place. And so Jesus says, therefore, be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. God's speech is no longer in many portions and in many ways. It's no longer long ago, but in these last days. It's no longer in many times and portions and many ways, but in his son. We've got to understand that. As Christians, we know this to be true. But our world is constantly pulling us to deny the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture. It's constantly tempting us to do what Eve did, which was to question what God has said in his word. John 1.1 says of Jesus, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God's speech is the word Jesus Christ. God's speech is God. Now, our printed Bibles are not God. We don't worship the book, but the voice contained in this book is God. That's what in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God means. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. Whose sight? The word of God. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Who is him with whom we have to do? The word of God. The word of God is living, active, able to judge the one who sees, the one with whom we have to do. It's not a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Many today long for a word from the Lord. And they have it. They have the scriptures. They have what God has said in his son. I've had people say to me, no, no, no. I want a personal word. Well, the person of Jesus Christ is the word of God. You can't get much more personal than God himself. Jesus is not simply a prophet and another, another in a long line of prophets. He is the prophet. He is the final prophet. He is the last prophet. We're going to look more at these phrases next week, but the, the scripture says that God appointed him heir of all things and through whom also he made the world. Jesus created everything. That places him at the beginning. Jesus is the one who inherits everything. That places him at the end. Once God had spoken in Jesus, there was nothing more to say to this world. Once God spoke in Jesus, there was nothing more to say to this world. Because the word of God is not a dead thing. My words are dead things. I'm recording this right now. I can see the little light on my computer that says that the microphone is picking up my voice and transmitting it wirelessly to the computer, and the computer is recording it, and as I speak, the little light is blinking. And I do that so that I can upload it so that those who missed the sermon or who want to hear it again can download it and hear it. And I have to do that because my words are dead words. When they come out of my mouth, they fall to the ground. But the Word of God is living and active. 
It's not a dead word. God said, let there be light, and there continues to be light. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. That was 2,000 years ago, but he is still the way and the truth and the life. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That promise was made thousands of years ago, but it is still true today because the word of God is not a dead word. It is a living word. How did Jesus communicate God's word? He was called teacher. He was called teacher. He taught personally. He used words and he used language. He demonstrated the authority of his word with miraculous signs, but his focus was never on the miracles. His focus was always on the teaching. So Matthew chapter 4 says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. As he prepares to, uh, to, to deliver the Sermon on the Mount, it says in Matthew 5 that he went up on the mountain with his disciples and he opened his mouth, which is what you have to do to speak, and began to teach his disciples saying. I love that little word saying. It just emphasize, emphasizes he spoke to them. He used words. He didn't sing. He didn't act. He didn't paint. He didn't do charades. He didn't put on a puppet show. He opened his mouth and he taught. He illustrated with objects. But the truth was spoken. What was his answer to those who were aimless and confused and suffering? Mark chapter 6 says, when Jesus went ashore, they'd been out on the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Later this day, he would feed them. This is the feeding of the 5,000. He would heal those who were sick. The weird thing about healing is that it only lasts until the next illness. And food only lasts a few hours. But the truth of God is eternal truth. And as Jesus looked at the crowd, he said, there are, there are sick and suffering people among them. They need to be taught truth. There are people who are hungry among them. First, they need to be taught truth. I've been told people in need don't need sermons. They need practical practical help. There's nothing more practical than knowing what your God has said. Because no one can take that away. No illness can drive it away. No hunger can cause it to fade away. It remains. There are dozens of references in the Gospels to Jesus speaking and proclaiming and teaching. The time came in the Gospels when Jesus sent out his disciples on a uh, short-term mission trip and they were to do what he had been doing, teaching. <coughs> Matthew writes, these 12, the 12 apostles, Jesus sent out after instructing them. I like that. Just He taught them. He continued to speak. He said, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach. Now, we could... We could 
take as you go preach and change it or, or understand it as be preaching the whole time. He doesn't say, when you get to this place, preach and then come back. He says, every time you have an opportunity to speak, speak. Jesus didn't send out all of his disciples, by the way, at this point. It was just the 12. But just before he ascended, he gave his church her commission. And this applied to the church and it applied to the apostles. That great commission that, that says, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. How do we know that he gave that to the church? Because the apostles were to teach everything that Jesus had commanded, which included the Great Commission. And in a very simple way, he, he chose this, this means of reproduction where years and years and years ago I heard the word of God taught. I heard it preached. The gospel was shared with me. And having received it, having believed in Jesus, having been born again, that then creates some obligation on me to pass it on to others. And some pass it on to a few here and there as their life allows. Others are, are vocational speakers. But we all have the responsibility to continue to speak. Following the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the early church was nourished and built on the word. Acts 2.42 uh, defines the nature of the church in its early days. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Just like Jesus, the apostles taught and spoke and instructed and proclaimed. These were untaught untrained fishermen for the most part. And their teaching forms the foundation for everything that happened in the fellowship. Everything that happened in the church. Soon in the book of Acts, there's been so much turmoil in the city of Jerusalem that Peter and John were arrested as they were teaching in the temple. They were warned and released and they went back to teaching in the temple and they were arrested again. They were brought before the council. The high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders. That's spoken, by the way. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. The apostles took the responsibility to teach everything Jesus had said so seriously that the New Testament letters, uh, beginning with the, Ro the, the letter to the Romans, all the way through Jude's epistle, is essentially an expansion on what Jesus had taught. It's a representation of what Jesus had taught. When Paul speaks about sexual ethics... He's simply calling to mind what Jesus had said about adultery and about lust. And I think that the vast majority of the New Testament letters are an expression of what Jesus had taught and a further explanation of those things. Well, as we bring this home then, what do we, what do, we do with it? Well, the devil doesn't care what you do with the word as long as you don't take it too seriously 
uh, as long as you don't really believe it, as long as you kind of leave it in a symbolic place, but you don't take it in. Whatever you do, the devil does not want you to obey what God has said. Luke writes that Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard, but the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third. And this one they also wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance will belong to us. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When the people heard the parable, they said, may it never be. Jesus looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this has become the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on ever, whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Now the point of this story is this. God sent his prophets to his people over and over and over again. And as Jesus says, and the people had to admit, those prophets were generally treated terribly. Put to death, run out of town, beaten, mocked, ignored. And then God sent his son. He sent his beloved son. John writes in his gospel, he came into the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. We can't accept Jesus and reject his word. For you and I today, in fact, since the moment that Jesus ascended to heaven, there's only one way for us to follow Jesus Christ. You know, the, the only way you have of following Jesus is the same way Paul had of following Jesus, and that is to go to the Word and trust it and believe it and obey it. God has sent his Son. Long ago he sent prophets, but in these last days he has sent his son. Jesus is God's final word. He is the last chapter of Revelation. His teachings recorded in the Gospels and applied in the, to, to our lives and the letters of his apostles are final. There isn't anything new to wait for. There's, there's nothing else coming. 
Nothing can change. No laws can be added that are going to, uh, going to change how salvation takes place. Paul was so insistent on this when in Galatia, all they were going to do is just add circumcision, just one little thing. And he said, you've now created a false gospel that kills by adding just one thing. The gospel is not going to be altered. Jesus is not going to be changed. And that means that we have a complete word and complete and utter joy when we believe it and know it and trust it and obey it. Because God is faithful. The promises of forgiveness and peace and salvation and hope of heaven, of eternal life, of holiness, of righteousness, of meaning, of joy remain as strong as they ever have been. And they remain perfectly. The world and many in the church want us to be jealous of so-called new discoveries and new revelations. We don't need a new revelation. God has spoken. There is a final word and his name is Jesus. This is where the book of Hebrews begins. By saying to the recipients and saying to us as we, as we continue to move through this letter, we will constantly be turning to look to Jesus Christ. We will be constantly turning our ears to hear what he has said and hear about him because he is our hope. Father in heaven, we thank you for the love that you have poured out upon us in giving us your son. You sent the prophets over so very many years. And Lord, it's, it's true that later generations would often look back at those men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and revere them, honor them. But it's equally true that the people that they spoke to were angered by them, rejected them, brutalized them, tortured them, put them to death. Lord, in these last days, you have spoken to us by your Son. And the words spoken through Jesus Christ, recorded by his apostles, is perfect. It's utterly complete. It is utterly sufficient. so I ask, Lord, that your spirit would constrain our hearts and our minds. Bring us to happy, humble submission to what you have said. Teach us to follow, Lord, as we come to your word, as we read and study, as we hear it taught by others and are fed on it and believe it and act on it. Help us to follow Jesus every day as he speaks to us in the scriptures. Bless our time in this book as we study it. Grant us your peace as we go. And Lord, make us speakers of your word. 
to this world that is dying for lack of truth. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.